Now, before we begin, so uh, if you realize that, that the series uh, about soul care, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like not only principles, but steps, right? You notice? It's kind of like step one, step two, step three. Step one, it was about uh, identifying your identity, right? So, oh, let's move on to the next slide, Zanapai. So when we go going to like, uh, when we talk about soul care, it's not just principles, uh, it could be steps. Like let's say you wanted to get a deeper relationship with God, so what is the first step type of thing? So the first step, we could say, is about addressing the lies that we have now come to believe about our identity. Uh, lies, because uh, all of us are brought up with some sort of like a few elements of lies that maybe none that we not have consciously decided to believe, but we were made to believe, right? We were raised in families, of course, right? And who knows, like our parents could have believed in lies, right? So lies such as performance, that your value is based on performance, that your lies are, or lies are your, your value is based on how many people could like you, or whether your parents like you, or whether your friends like you, you know, like um, those type of lies. That your identity and your value is based on your productivity. Mine was, right? Whether I was useful or not. Uh, because I always loved that saying in my family, and I'm not blaming my parents because they were raised this way. Who ever heard of this uh, statement, moyong? Neho moyong. You know, you're useless, right? That one. I was brought up with it. I don't know about you guys, but I was. And if I, it keeps it ingrained in my head, I would feel that if I'm not moving, if I'm not doing stuff, if I don't get an A, actually, I never got an A. Um, I like, I like, if I got like, some, like, if I didn't do well in school, I'm useless, right? If I'm not productive, I'm useless. If I'm not earning an income, I'm useless. If I'm not married, I'm useless, right? Or, right? Like, you know, like that, that lazy as if you're just a stump on the log, right? Did I translate that right? I, I can't remember. <laughs> All right? That type of thing. Lies. You know, we may not know it at first, but those are lies. And unfortunately, these lies prevent the Holy Spirit from penetrating into our souls, into our hearts to change us to transform us, to experience the life-giving message of the gospel. It's these lies that prevent us from actually hearing God and to experience that life, that new life that when we got baptized, we're supposed to experience. You know, when we get baptized, we're supposed to experience this awe-inspiring, like, filling of the Holy Spirit, the initial whammy, right? But why? What's kept, what kept us from it? It's because from here to here, the lies are blocking us. From our head to our heart, the lies are blocking that. And that's why that, that week we, wanted, we addressed the lies. And so what we concluded was that you are infinite worth to Jesus. Jesus says, I declare to you to be worthy of my son's blood. If Jesus died for us, then what can diminish our worth? Not rejection, not enemies, not hatred, not criticism, not abandonment, not abuse, not a spouse who leaves you or no longer loves you, not bad performances, not failures, not circumstances out of your control or, beyond, or people beyond your reach. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Remind yourselves then of this. Anytime you fear or think of and have some anxiety or burdens thinking that you're not meeting up to a particular standard, whether you feel that no one's going to like me for this, or whether you're going to fear that you're not going to perform well, or you're not going to get that salary that you wanted, or you're not going to get that uh, raise or the promotion, remind yourself, you're already loved by Jesus. You were paid very expensively by the blood of Jesus. 
You are of utmost value. And Jesus said you were worth it. Then in part two, we talked about repentance. Folks, I've seen people who literally have physical heaviness. Physical heaviness that you could see in their faces. Emotionally drained. When they, when, you, when they are hiding secrets, hiding sins in their, that are happening in their lives for a long time. They are mentally, physically, and emotionally tired all the time, whether they're at work, at play, or even with friends. You, I don't know if you notice some of them, but I, I have a few friends that are like that. And then on the other hand, I've known uh, people that hide their, uh, their sins and they try to justify it so much for example, oh, it's uh, economical. It's perfect. It's for economic reasons. Oh, well, everyone does it, so it's okay for me. I've known people that want to justify their sins so much that they justify it to a point that they've lost any discernment on what is right and wrong. And so they, they come to ask me, well, how come God doesn't speak to me anymore? Well, maybe it's because you sandpapered down that discernment that's, and blocked the Holy Spirit so much that you no longer know the difference. You can't sense Him anymore. See, folks, the light has to penetrate us, but in order for the light to penetrate through, we have to be broken. If we remain solid and continue to put up a shield and build that 50-foot wall and then continue to hide those lies and hide them from God, and, not let, and then the, we're just basically putting everything out, not just the light, but the love of it that he has to offer, the grace that he has to offer, the forgiveness that he has to offer, we're just blocking things away. We're not allowing him to penetrate even when he wants to help us. We're just saying, no, God, like, I'm trying to justify what I want. Here, block it away. Jesus doesn't just want to, you to, us to just know cognitively that we are forgiven. We're very good at that. We memorize verses for that. For God's all of the world, he gave his only son to forgive our sins, right? But he also wants us to experience true freedom, true release. The author goes and says, I'm convinced that Jesus not only wants to help you be forgiven so you can have the right standing with God, he also wants you to experience the liberation of forgiveness. Your spirit is free, forgiven, and purged, but often our soul is still clouded with guilt, shame, and condemnation. Jesus wants the work of the cross to permeate our souls so we can experience true freedom. If, there is a, if we're putting up a blockade all the time, this blockade is indiscriminate. And therefore, sometimes we even block the good stuff that's coming out our way that God is trying to offer us. Let's be broken. Let's continue to reflect and repent of our sins, anything that's hidden inside. Next thing. Step three. Then we uh, uh, went and talked about family sin patterns. Now, I shared mine, right? The Sons of Thunder, right? Uh, um, and uh, it was all, it's, I, I come from a family line of anger. Right? And I had to address that. Uh, I even had a conversation with my dad recently about that. Right? You know, just say, uh, Dad, uh, do, do we have issues with anger <laughs> in our family? Like great-grandfather, grandfather. And he goes, yes, we do. Uh, we have mass. And then my aunt even confirmed that <laughs> when we went to Penticton. Uh, she said, we are very hot-headed and very stubborn. Okay, now that's where I got. But then not only that, to make it worse, my mom's size also that way. So product, right? And so to my family, my own family's dismay, and sometimes that they get um, the brunt of it, I have to also repent of my anger. 
it doesn't like sometimes I come like I understand we come from a culture, especially as Asian culture, uh, especially in the Asian ethnic culture, that it is like oh we don't want to talk bad about our family, right? Because it's just really dishonorable, right? Because it's really dishonorable to reveal our family sin patterns. No, the author said it is actually the most honorable thing that we can do is to break our family sin patterns and offer it to God so that He can redeem our family. That is the most honorable thing to do is to redeem our family, to ask God to redeem our family, to forgive our family, and so that we can be close to God. What a, that is the utmost, most honorable thing that we can do with our family, not hide our family sin patterns. So am I afraid of uh, uh, repenting and, uh, and telling God, yeah, my, my, my family and myself are like, uh, have really in need of anger management? No. Because we need to continue to uh, open ourselves up so that the Holy Spirit can work in all of my family line. So that way we can f uh, have the Holy Spirit change us, transform us to become more Christ-like. Only we, only then can we bring honor back to our families. How about you? What are some family patterns that you've noticed? That maybe that through your reflections of alone time with God, has God spoken to you about some certain family patterns? Control. How about the retribution thing? That there's no free, free ride. Like anytime I give, some, I have to take back. Right? Anytime you give, I have to give back. You know that thing. It's very common. Control. Lust. Uh, some of us uh, may know of family members that, that have trouble with lust. And maybe we have that problem. People are like uh, men with women. Like they just, uh, just uh, fervently like, uh, get too emotionally entangled. Guess what? Our dads and our dad's dads may have that problem too. Broken marriages. That could be it too. That's a family sin pattern, right? If we come from a family, a, a sin pattern of divorces and, and the mistrust and everything, guess what we come from? Guess what's going to be in our hearts, in our habits, and in our, in our hearts, in our souls? We have to come forward to God and repent those. Next one. Forgiveness. Yes, I'm reviewing everything because it's been a while since we reviewed this. So forgiveness is the next part. The single greatest indicator that we have been infected with divine love is our capacity to love our enemies. It is the mark of the Father on our lives. Continue the quote. It is utterly absurd for us to hold someone in our debt in light of the remarkable forgiveness God has offered us. He has canceled a lifetime of sin against us at the cost of his precious blood. Who are we to hold a grudge when the mercy of the master does not move you to become a merciful person? There is something dreadfully wrong with your soul. There is a disconnect between your head and your heart. You have truths in your head that have not permeated your heart. You have doctors you espouse that have not been experientially transformational. There is no freedom, no room for the Holy Spirit to work in our, in our souls if we have grudges on people, if we are angry still about people. I've known parents still angry with their kids on things that they've done a long time ago and they bring it up all the time. Why? And they call themselves Christian. Why? It's because they are not able to forgive. And, and chances are, they themselves never received forgiveness in the first place. The reason why, uh, you know that greatest sin that's unforgivable in the, in the passage in 1 John? The reason why he said that is because if you don't believe in forgiveness, if you don't believe forgiveness exists, how can you possibly be forgiven? Follow? If you do not believe that forgiveness does not exist, if you don't believe that forgiveness exists, then how can you possibly be forgiven? And how can you possibly offer other people forgiveness? Then God cannot possibly forgive you because you don't believe it. Follow? 
It's a whole act of just that logic. And so, therefore, it is utterly impossible to call ourselves Christians if we cannot forgive, if we continue to hold grudges, if we continue to hold grudges on people, our coworkers, our children, our friends, our family, your pastor, things like that, you, we need to forgive, even though they may not repent, even though they may not even come to become unrepentant. Yes, it's difficult. It's hard. But you know what? I've seen people, especially my friends who are older in their generation, in their 60s, they cannot possibly, you know they cannot forgive, and you know, and you look in their faces, they're bitter, they're saddened, they're always not critical, cynical. You know that they have issues with forgiveness. There are many people that have hurt them that they are not willing to forgive. It seems like they, they need them to pay back something. Well, that's not Christian. That's not Christian at all. Because we all have experienced the magnitude of the forgiveness of God in our lives. Our slates are clean. He says it's done when he's on the cross. What does that mean? Your sins from the past, your present, and the future that you don't even know of. He forgives. He has forgiven. That's massive. What do we to say that we cannot forgive others? Do yourself a favor. In order to access the freedom that God has offered us, that Jesus has offered us through the death and resurrection of, of his work and the salvation that's offered for us, the freedom that he's offered us, if you want to experience that freedom, pray over this. Find out that, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you on who is, is it that you have a grudge still towards and free yourself by forgiving them. But you can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember what the author said that week. Obey so that God can do something that you can never do, and that is to change your heart. All right, last week, Pastor Fritz spoke about healing wounds. Now, Jesus came to heal us spiritually, physically, mentally, and pretty much everything, right? He came to heal. By his wounds, Isaiah would say, we are healed. He feels our pain, he knows our pain, he went through our pain and has gone before us to know that pain, and yet he conquered it through his death and resurrection, amen? Amen. However, he's not a jack-in-the-box or a genie in the lamp. We cannot treat him that way. We, yes, we have a lot of wounds, and yes, uh, uh, we desire him to heal us, especially the physical pains and illnesses. But his major thing is he, does not want to just, he doesn't necessarily want to fix us. He wants a relationship with us. And through that relationship is the healing. You follow? It's through that relationship he wants to take us through that journey to heal us. And that's what's most important with Jesus. Because if you recall, when Jesus healed the 10 lepers, how many came back? One. Right? So he wants a relationship with us as opposed to just fixing us. All right. All good? We're caught up now? All right. Now we're on to the uh, second to last chapter, and it's entitled Overcoming Fears. And I'm just going to show you a video on this one. I don't believe in myself no more. Don't you understand? What if I don't believe? That's it. He's finished. It's over. That's it. That's not it. That is it. Why don't you tell me the truth? What are you putting me through, Adrian? You want to know the truth? The truth is I don't want to lose what I got. In the beginning, I didn't care about what happened to me. I go in a ring. I get busted up. I didn't care. But now there's you. There's a kid. I don't want to lose what I got. What do we have that can't be replaced? What? A house. We got cars. We got money. We 
got everything but the truth. What's the truth, damn it? I'm afraid, all right? You want to hear me say it? You want to break me down? All right, I'm afraid. For the first time in my life, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, too. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. There is. For me, there is. Why, you're human, aren't you? Look, I don't know what I am. All I know is I'm a liar. And because of that, Mickey ain't here no more. You didn't push him into anything. He was a grown man, and he did what he had to do. And you have no right to feel guilty for what happened. You don't. You were a champion, and you did what you were expected to do. And you did what I and everybody else thought you should do. And you want to tell me that those fights weren't real, that you were carried? Well, I don't believe it. It doesn't matter what I believe, because you're the one that's got to carry that fear around inside you. Afraid that everybody's going to take things away. Afraid you're going to be remembered as a coward. That you're not a man anymore. Well, none of it's true. But it doesn't matter if I tell you. It doesn't matter because you're the one that's got to settle it. Get rid of it. Because when all the smoke is cleared and everyone's through chanting your name, it's just going to be us. And you can't live like this. We can't live like this. Because it's going to bother you for the rest of your life. Look what it's doing to you now. Paula thinks you can do it. So do I. But you, you got to want to do it for the right reasons. Not for the guilt over Mickey. Not for the people. Not for the title. Not for money or me. But for you. Just you. Just you alone. If I lose? Then you lose. But at least you lose with no excuses. No fear. And I know you can live with that. Why'd you get so tough? I... I live with a fighter. Rocky Three, just an FYI, way beyond your time probably. Uh, not for Janice and myself, but yeah. Uh, then uh, what was the main theme song? That's right, Eye of the Tiger. Okay, you guys have no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> All right, Eye of the Tiger. That's the, that, that's when. Never mind. All right. So um, our thesis this morning. And you notice that what she said is about fear. And uh, you know, Rocky was saying how, how he's afraid. But you notice that it took somebody else to really dig into that. Uh, and um, it was his wife, Adrian. And uh, Adrian just kept on digging and digging. to go, no, tell me what's really bothering you. Tell me what's really bothering you. And uh, I think uh, that's a good lesson for all of us, that we need those type of friends. Uh, whether it be our spouse or our uh, friend or our mentor, we need people like those the people that could just challenge us to keep us going. No, what's really going on in your heart right now? What's really going on in your mind? Tell me now, right? Just really confront us because we cannot be, sometimes we cannot be honest with ourselves when we're just talking to ourselves, right? We just continue to turn out lies towards us. Anyways, good for Rocky to have Adrian. Anyway, too bad she died later on. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> our thesis this morning is this. In our fear, we often sin. We fail to follow God. There are countless biblical examples that demonstrate the consequence of fear, and many of the consequences is the rejection of God. And so let's move on here. Yes, countless examples. Ever since Abraham, all the way to his generation, his, uh, uh, the sons of Isaac, Jacob, like you notice that it, like, when they sin, it's because they were afraid. 
Abraham lied. Why? Because he was afraid. He lied that Sarah was his, not his wife, but his sister. What? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, why would you do that? But because he was afraid. Isaac did the same thing, apparently. Just, right? And then uh, uh, Jacob. Jacob lied. Jacob was afraid, right? He couldn't face the fact that, that, you know, oh no, like remember Levi and his brother Simeon, right? They did something, and then what did he do? He freaked out. He was afraid that other nations were going to get after him, yet he, can't, he just didn't remember that, wait a minute, God promised that you are going to be the chosen people of God. He's not going to annihilate you, right? So fear. Fear gets in our way of obeying God. Fear gets in the way of loving God. And, what, and in Paul, and in, throughout the whole Old Testament, and including the New Testament, and Paul, we realize that the number one commandment that often mentions is, do not fear, or do not be anxious, right? Do not fear, do not be strong and courageous. Those are commands. And, it is, and, we, always, and we wonder, if it's repeated so often in the Bible, more so than just love your neighbor, more so than that, it is really important. God really wants us to not fear. Here's why. But sometimes we act in fear rather than wait on God in faith. Sometimes we rely on ourselves, our gifts, and our ingenuity rather than rely on God and his deliverance. This is a quote from the book. Now, why did I quote this? It's because the reason why, uh, why we uh, fear is because sometimes when we see a uh, crisis or a circumstance or some situation that we face, we, try to, we look at it and we go, what do we compare it to? Compare it to God's might and power, or do we compare it to our might and power? Usually, it's with our might and power, and that's why we fear. We look at this job position, we look at this uh, task that's given to us, we look at a task given to us by our employer, you know, new tasks, new rules, whatever, right? And then uh, we go, ah, right? Why? Why do we freak out so quickly? It's because we only know our own capabilities. We only need to see ourselves and we define ourselves that way. And we probably are succumb to some lies about ourselves too. That's why we fear. But we never compare it. We rarely compare it to God's power and capabilities. Because if we do, would we fear? Right? And hence, the, uh, the author says, we act in fear rather than wait on God because we rely, too, we rely too much on ourselves and our gifts and our ingenuity, our talents. We just see ourselves. But sometimes we see ourselves in a warped way too. Here, I'll show you another uh, video before we move on. And when Jesus promises you peace in John 14, 27, it's not the peace that we have. Our peace is often based on circumstances. If our circumstances are all turning up in the right direction, we'll feel peaceful. But Jesus' peace is the peace of heaven. He sits on a throne in heaven, and he has no competition for his throne room. He is not nervous. No matter what is happening in your life right now, Jesus isn't nervous. And he's sitting on his throne in heaven right now, and he can impart to you peace that comes from the throne room where nothing is threatened. And this is the peace that he offers to us. We have to learn how to access this peace. In our fear, we're often tempted to manipulate and control others. And probably the single greatest example of this is parenting. I mean, think about how many times as a parent you have acted in ways because you were fearful. You were afraid that your kids were hanging with the wrong crowd and you clamped down control. How many times have you prayed in fear as a parent? 
So many of our parental prayers are just fear-based prayer. Oh God, don't let anything bad happen to my children. Protect my kids. Don't let this happen to them. Don't let them do that. Don't let them hang with this person. One day I was praying this way. I was praying all these God protect my children prayers. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I don't want you to pray like that for your children. He said, you don't pray that way for your own life. You're praying nothing but fear-based prayers for your kids and you need to stop. You want your kids to grow up to be pansies or do you want your kids to grow up to be mighty warriors? And I thought, I I want my kids to grow up to be mighty warriors. They said, you're praying in a way to keep them from the very things I need to make them mighty warriors and you need to stop. And I went, I am not gonna pray fear-based prayers for my kids anymore. It completely changed the way I pray for my kids. Now, when I pray for my kids, I pray for the things God needs to bring into their lives or allow into their lives to make them mighty warriors because that's what I want them to be, spiritual warriors against the principalities of darkness. But ultimately, to conquer our fears as parents, as people, as spouses, we're going to have to surrender our fears and our need to control to God, and we're going to have to trust Him. Again, why do we fear? Just like uh, uh, on the video, uh, I'm a parent, uh, and uh, I do pray, like, when I was watching this, I do relate with them. I do sort of pray often, too. Oh, God, like, please don't let Annabelle have uh, bad influence. Uh, you know, pray that she, she's safe and that, that she's, uh, you know, she's safe at school. Pray that the teachers are not incompetent. You know, that type of thing, right? And, uh, and I realized, wow, you know, that's also, uh, I realized that oh, that's also a family sin pattern, by the way. Uh, because uh, I realized that my family, uh, especially my mom, she prays in fear. It's fear-based prayers. Please protect them. Keep them safe. You know, oh, let them do good. Or da 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 da. Right? And or please be healthy, be healthy, be healthy. Right? Praying in fear. And I realized that that's another one that I need to address myself, and also repent to God and submit to God of that fear. Now, especially that family sin pattern. That, you know. We're just, uh, I just lack social security and safety because a lot of times it's just beyond my control, right? A lot of times it's just uh, beyond uh, my capacity and stuff. So why do we fear? It's because whenever we're faced with situations or circumstances or illnesses that is just beyond our control, that's when we fear. It's so easy not to fear the things that we can control, but it's so hard to, uh, not to fear when things are out of control, especially if your loved one is somewhere else is not, un- not in front of you. Here, I have two fears I'll share with you. Unpredictability and failure. I have the fear that things are unpredictable. I have a fear of unpredictable things that if they go out of, like, not in, like, out of my control, I fear for that. And of course, fear of failure. And boy, yesterday tested me like to the limit, all right? Uh, on community day, I must admit, all right? Because you know why? Those raindrops were big, <laughs> right? And then, and you know, we, I was praying to God. I, I, I know, it's so funny, this is my conversation with God. Okay, I read your chapter, <laughs> okay? I read God, I read your chapter. I even reviewed my sermon notes and I repent. I know I should trust you, but God, it's raining, <laughs> right? And, like, and then again, I go, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I could trust you. I know that you'll have it all taken care of. 
freaks like it's raining. <laughs> right? You know, it's this, my, I'm like this dual person right now, right? Arguing. One side's arguing with my left, right side, my right side knowing that I should trust God. My left side goes, oh, go blow. It's like raining. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like having this conflict. And I realized, you know what? This is really creating that burden, that fear that he's talking about. It's really giving me anxiety. I, I'm starting to reflect on this right now. Like throughout the yesterday, I was reflecting on this while we were having this community. I'm like, God, you really showed me Actually, you're really showing up, right? Like, you really just uh, put me through the ringer and, and just showed who I truly was, a very broken man who needs to trust you more. I, I never knew how little faith I had. I knew I had, the, like, I had faith problems, but man, uh, you know, as, as your you know, faithful leader and as your leader, I too need to come to God's presence and repent, right? Even the smallest thing of community with weather, things like I cannot control, that was my, that's my fear, and I need to admit it to all of you that, you know, like, weather is not controllable, but look at me. I'm like almost like a crying baby when it was raining this much of a drop, right? So uh, just to, to let you know, like, uh, as Ron Breitman says, we need to submit our fears to the king. Jesus is on the throne. He says Jesus is on the throne. He's at peace. No anxiety. He's like chill because nothing can conquer him. Nothing can defeat him. Then why am I going like a headless chicken thinking that I'll be conquered by just rain, right? I need to submit to God my fears. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Failure? Because I'm afraid of failure too. Yesterday was a good one, example. But I'm afraid of failure even with regards to church. I'm afraid of failure with regards to my ministry. Before, when I was in, uh, in, uh, in the corporate world, I was afraid of failure. I'm an achiever. I like to that it says cease results. But if I can, if I don't see the results, I have, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that my child might fail. Might fail. I'm afraid of her growing up and then uh, hitting, uh, hitting past like uh, teenage years. And if she fails, she can't support us. <laughs> and it's all like that. You know, so Asian. Right? It's like, you know, that, that the failure, right? The fear of failure, the fear of failure of my child. Failure. It reflects on me. But you notice what I said. It reflects on me. Right? What are you afraid of? Cleanliness? My brother was uh, really afraid of cleanliness. I think, <laughs> you might be watching this. Um, you know, like uh, when we went to Montreal, the first thing that we set foot in was a hotel. And then uh, I was going, why do you bring a second suitcase, Daniel? Uh, that's his name. And then he allowed me to share this. So, and then uh, he goes, well, open it. So then uh, he has an old room. I have my own hotel room. We never like bucking together. We don't like to be roommates. We like to be neighbors, but not roommates. And uh, so uh, when he went into his room, I went to his room, he opened the second suitcase, and lo and behold, Lysol wipes, like toilet cleaner, everything. <laughs> like literally, and then he just went to work, put on his gloves, started <laughs> like cleaning the whole room uh, on his own, like making sure that everything was speaking span to his level of cleanliness. You know, I think you know my brother. So <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm like, what? Right? And that carried through. He, he's a germophobic, right? To a point that it almost ruined his relationships, right? It's just that because it was just that fear. I go, don't you trust in God? He goes, somewhat, <laughs> right? About this claim. I'm like, you know, you gotta lighten up, you know, like he'll take care of you, right? That type of thing. Small things like that could cause us to prevent us from doing God's work, from following and obeying God, right? Food, cleanliness, simple things like that. Going to, I know a missionary who stopped short of going to a mission trip because of cleanliness. You know, that type of thing, right? 
So stuff like that. It's unpredictable for me. Unpredictable fa uh, failure for my brother. It'll be cleanliness. How about you? What's your fears? What's your greatest fears? Fear of people not liking you? Fear of people uh, maybe backpacking you? Just remember what the author said here, Dr. Rob Reimer. Jesus is on the throne. If he's so chill and at peace, why are we so anxious then? If we are sharing in his throne, sharing in his kingdom. All right. Also, I got another example. Roseanne and I have seen that, like single people, especially, who really want to have a relationship, you know, want to get married because their time is up or, you know, they're getting older and a lot of their friends are getting married, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So we go and we encourage them, you know, we want to say, wait on God, you know, like God has somebody for you. Like he'll provide a godly Christian spouse for you because really he wants you to, his most important thing is to have a relationship with you, not you having a relationship. The most important relationship for all of us is our relationship with God. Beyond our spouse, beyond our friendships, beyond our children, it's our relationship with God. Our spouse, whoever he provides, needs to build us up, not put us down. He, we have to be able to draw close to God. Rosanna challenges me. I am jealous of her faith in God. Okay? My jealousy makes me want to know God more. You follow? That's a healthy relationship. I want to know more of God because my wife knows more <laughs> of him, right? That's how it's supposed to be. That build up, the encouragement. And that's why I personally, yes, it's my own personal opinion. This is my own personal opinion, but I firmly believe the reason why God provides with a godly spouse is to build us closer because he really, really desires to be, have a better relationship with you individually. And that spouse is just one way, one way for him, for us to get closer to him. Not the only way. And so we encourage people that way. But then time and time again, especially in my, our age group now, in our 40s, you know, it's, it is tempting, isn't it? Because you see everybody else getting married. We see everyone else getting married and, you know, having kids and everything, and we're kind of like, ugh, right? And then, so then, when, when somebody comes up and says, I like you, or it says, I'm attracted to you, and yet not a Christian, we just go into it and thinking that God will someday transform this person and convert this person. Well, many times or not, what we've seen is the other way around the other way around. It's yoking, right? If a cow like, uh, yokes with, another, uh, with, a, with a cow that doesn't have the same pattern or the same walking pattern, it's, it's going to go that pattern. It's easier to fall than it is to go up. I pray if, if you or if you know people in a relationship that is uh, Christian and non-Christian and that spouse or that boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance is not a, not a Christian yet, you're in my prayers. Please let me know and pray for them too. Because I don't doubt that God's power, God is powerful. He's almighty and he can work miracles. He could move your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, whatever, to transform that, his heart, his or her heart, to come to know God. I don't doubt that. But allow me to pray with you so that, so that God can work in it. But for those who are still single, who, are the, who may be looking, or it's a wait on God, wait on God. All right, so how do we fear then? How do we, no, how do we not fear? How do we not fear? How do we combat fear? Well, if you could turn with me to Philippians chapter four, Paul offers a solution to our fears. How do we conquer fear? 
Well, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. He goes like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Worship, Paul says it again, worship. Did he say that? Yeah. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. First and foremost is to realign our hearts with God. And that is to worship. Whether it be here or whether it be scheduling an appointment with a meeting room in your office for 30 minutes, worship. When you find yourself in fear, when you are approached with fear, when you have this discontentment or this anxiousness, anxiety, or this itch, worship. Say, just find your place, put on some tunes, whatever you do in your to make yourself worship God. To remind yourself who you are in Jesus Christ is to worship. This will bring, transform from discontentment to thanksgiving. This will change from the other, from sorrow to joy, from hopelessness to hopeful. The songs that, that, that are offered to us, the songs that God has given us in our iTunes or whatever it is, play them to remind yourself who you are. That's worship. Give God the glory. Give God the thanksgiving. What else did he say? Let your gentleness be evident to all. See, when I worry and when I fear, I'm like a spark plug with high octane <laughs> content in there, which means that one spark, boom, right? I, like, I just go right off. Right? I, I go anxious, my heart races, I go, I'm trying to look for plan B, plan C, plan D, I'm going crazy, right? And uh, so then my heart, and I n never think rationally. Paul says, and Paul knew it too, he probably had the same problem, he goes, let gentleness be evident, meaning slow the freak down, <laughs> right? Slow down. Remember when I gave you an example of my coworker who got angry with somebody? and then he got really irritated, he instantly booked a meeting room to just go off and pray. That's what he meant. The ability to slow down and just calm ourselves down, to be gentle, right? Not to react quickly out of fear. If you could picture a hamster on a wheel with jetpacks, that was, that's exactly what I'm like, okay? It's just a, that whole idea of just a, getting really racing ahead. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then next, it says, through prayer, by prayer of thanksgiving. Thankfulness, practicing the act of thankfulness to God is our act of worship. And, then, and by being thankful, by knowing that, uh, that God has provided for all our need and looking back, we do not have to fear. We can look back and say, yes, indeed, Jesus is on the throne. I could look back yesterday and take a look at the events that happened yesterday. Remind myself, I journaled this, by the way, yesterday's event. And then any time I fear in the future, what I'm fearing in the future, I can always look back at this day and say, God, yeah, I was freaking out, but you, when I placed my trust in you, you had everything taken care of. I could be thankful for that. Thankfulness is to remember what he has done for us and therefore will overcome our fears. And lastly, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. The reason, you may not see it there, but it's Emmanuel. Remember that this is, this is the type of thing where um, 
it's a, it alludes to Emmanuel, the peace of God with us. God with us, the peace of God. And, then, and in the, uh, it was translated as Emmanuel, God with us. So we have to remind ourselves that even till this day, through your sickness, through your loneliness, through your times of trial, anxiety, uncertainties, the fears that may approach you, remind yourself that God is with you, that Jesus is with you, that Jesus is here, and through your wounds, through your illnesses, through your times of trial, he's actually with you. Pastor Fritz uh, uh, was going to allude to the example about the healing wounds thing. And then one of the big things about wounds is that it gives us fear, right, if it occurs again. You know, like those wounds that occur again, and it's kind of like gives that little, like, some people even, uh, like, when that smell of something that they re it reminds them of that particular wound back in their childhood, they start to fear, right? And one of the solutions that uh, Rob Reimer gave was to actually say, pray and then meditate and say, Jesus, where, show me where you were during my wound. When the wound was inflicted upon me, where were you? You follow? Because if we believe that Jesus is with us, Emmanuel, God is with us, allow him through your prayer to show you where he was during the time of the inflicted, infliction of the wound. There are times, uh, uh, there was an example in the book where the wound was abortion where the lady was uh, getting abortion, and, and that was a permanent ruin for a long time, and she feared it. Even the smell of the hospital, she feared it. She feared the smell of the hospital. She feared people talking about, bait, you know, that type of thing. And so he, go, he went and, taught, and prayed with this woman, saying, allow Jesus to show you where he was in that operating room. Because if we firmly believe that Jesus, God, is with us, then God is with us during those inflictions. That should give us peace. That should help us to overcome our fears. Amen? Amen. God is with us. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. That's a promise in Christ Jesus.